grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. I was uh, actually chatting with a friend this week, a colleague, about the goal, the goal of pastoral ministry. I mean, think about that. Jesus has established his church. He's done that. An amazing thing. For what? What is the goal that Jesus, I'm not going to preach up here, that Jesus would establish his church for? What do you think? You're talkers, you guys. Why did Jesus establish his church? What's the goal? To save people? It's a good answer, Frank. Go, Jacob. Interact with them. Okay. Yep. Go on. For his glory. Okay. Yep. To represent the Father on earth. Yeah. Okay. Go on, Esme. To be one with him so we can join him in his heavenly kingdom. Yeah. Anyone else? To spread the good news. Yep. Members being the body of Christ. Yep. 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 Okay. Good answers. That's what, what you've said are what pastors normally say. That's how pastors normally, normally answer that question. It's interesting. A lot of what we talked about just then are functions of ministry, aren't they? They're functions. They're doing words for, what we, for, for doing ministry and what we do as we do ministry. They're functional words. What's the goal? The goal is that you, me and everyone that we invite to meet with Jesus Christ would find rest. That everyone who comes into the presence of God would find rest. And when we talk about rest, we're also talking about eternal life. We talked about this on the parish camp for those of you who were there. Rest and eternal life travel together hand in hand. They're one one in the same thing, they're so connected and so related. But when you hear rest, don't think of feet up in the pool, not when we're talking about biblical rest anyway. It's not about caravans or beach houses or five-star resorts. It's not about two, three, four weeks annual leave that you get or all your school holidays sitting in front of the TV with your feet up on the couch. That's actually not what we're talking about when we're talking about biblical rest or the goal of ministry. We're talking about blessing. We're talking about peace. We're talking about relief from trouble. We're talking about release from the slavery and the oppression of sin. We're talking about being so satisfied in your soul that you have peace. Even amidst really tough circumstances or even in joys. And all these blessings, all this rest is actually available to God's people today in the here and now. So we're talking about that dimension of rest but there's also another dimension in the life of the world to come. That's another dimension of rest that is the goal of ministry. The rest of incomparable joy. Imagine that, incomparable joy. That is amazing joy. So that is rest from tears and struggles forever, the ultimate place of all God's promises fulfilled where the Bible calls heaven. That's the goal. I mean, honestly, as you think about that, does that actually sound good to you? Does that sound like something that you would desire? I'm really glad to hear that. I'm really pleased to hear that. And if you don't know that kind of rest, would you like to know that kind of rest? Yeah, yes, good. That's the rest we're talking about today. That's, that's the rest and it's a beautiful thing and someone is actually 
asking Jesus about it in the Gospel in Mark 12. He's actually inquiring after this rest. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and uh, verse 17 says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This young fella is enthusiastic when it comes to eternal life. He's, he's on his knees, he's good teacher, uh, he's excited about it, it's something that he really, really, really wants. It's a simple question too, isn't it? So simple answer, simple sermon maybe, yeah? Jesus answers right out of kind of left or right field. He says, why do you call me good? He doesn't just answer the question simply. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. And then Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud or covet and honour your father and your mother. Now at this point, Jesus still hasn't answered this fellow's question, his burning question. But what is happening, there is something very deeply spiritual happening right in the very early stages of this conversation between this rich young ruler, depending on which gospel you read, this young wealthy guy, and Jesus. Something deeply spiritual and supernatural is actually happening. The same thing happens to each and every one of you as you engage with the living and active word. And to really get a picture of what's happening, we need to return to our theme verse just for a second, Hebrews 4.12. I'm going to also read verse 13. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. What a wonderful passage of scripture. Now we touched on this last week a little bit What does it mean that the word is actually living and active? Does it mean that as I hold my Bible here that this is actually alive, this book is alive? Is this book alive? Do do the words and letters all move around on the pages at night while I'm asleep or something? Does it, I don't know, what, what does it mean that the word of God is alive and active? Is it about a book? It's not about a book, is it? We talked about this. We're not talking about letters on a page here when we say the word of God is alive and active. We're thinking, think John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and then follow down to verse 14 where it says, and the word became flesh and pitched his tent among us, tabernacled among us. And we have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. When you think about the Word of God, when you think about an encounter with the living and active Word of God, don't think about an encounter with a book. You are actually having an encounter with a person and that person is Jesus Christ. The living and active Word of God is a person and so it's personal and it's the person of Jesus Christ. And like the theme verse says, Jesus... The living word sees straight into this guy's heart 
He sees his intentions, he sees his attitudes, he sees everything and it's all laid bare before the Son of the living God and Jesus' response is so deep. It's so deep. And this wealthy man, he's being smooth. We might call him a suck-up, right? Sucking up to Jesus. The whole good teacher approach, he's overdoing it. Uh, he's, he's going with flattery so that he might get a good response for attaining eternal life. One compliment deserves another, especially in the ancient world. If you actually approached someone and paid them this wonderful compliment, there was the expectation in your heart that they would actually compliment you back. So maybe he's thinking, good teacher, and now Jesus, you can respond to me as this uh, young noble ruler or awesome rich guy or whatever it is that he was actually looking for from Jesus to actually compliment him and affirm him. And Jesus, how does he respond? No title at all. Actually doesn't even engage with that. And it's almost like an awkward moment uh, in, in that conversation. There's a depth to what's going on, right? Even the commandments Jesus quotes to him show great depth as he gazes into this man's heart because the commands in context deal with, the lo- with loyalties that Middle Eastern people would see as their absolute highest priorities highest priorities. There are no higher priorities here. So committing adultery and honouring your father and mother are huge in a culture where family and honour are just so important. And so the commandments are actually hitting right where this rich young, young ruler's guy's heart is. For a Middle Eastern person, ancestral property is so important. If you knew the lengths that Uh, Middle Eastern people go to just to keep any member of the extended family in that ancestral home because it's a symbol of family. It's a symbol of the cohesiveness of family. So when Jesus talks about do not covet or do not steal property, that is something that just would be so frowned upon by this rich young ruler. Uh, There's nothing. It would be absolutely horrendous. Jesus is appealing to his highest life loyalties to which the young man proudly responds, Teacher, all these commands I've kept from my youth. Come on. Is that really possible? Who knows? Guess what? This young guy doesn't actually have the New Testament scriptures with him, okay? So he, hasn't, he, he, he doesn't know that even if you hate your brother in your heart that Jesus says that you actually committed murder. In his eyes, he has outwardly kept the law. He's actually, he's outwardly done it. You can honour your father and your mother and then have these thoughts going on in your head like you guys just don't know what you're talking about. Um, But outwardly you can obey and actually have the outward appearance that, yeah, I honour you and and I'll do exactly as, as you ask. So outwardly it's possible, right? So this rich young ruler, he thinks, I've got it. I've got it. Eternal life is mine. I can attain this. I've done it. I can attain this eternal life. And then what does Jesus do but grab the dial volume of intensity and just give it a great big yank and just lifts the intensity to a whole new level that this guy just cannot bear. He says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Not only does he have great wealth, he 
his whole world has just been flipped and turned upside down on him. Everything he knew has just been changed around and turned. The tables have been turned on him. What does he do? He must be reeling at this. His highest life loyalties to his family estate, to his property, to his family, which really come together as one and the same thing, there is no higher loyalty. And then here's Jesus inviting this man to treasure him more than all of those things, inviting him to give up those things. It's just unthinkable to give that up and to come and follow Jesus. And so what happens? What does the rich man receive from Jesus? He receives diddly squat. Nothing. Nada. Nothing. He gets nothing. Not because, and hear this, not because Jesus rejected him. Remember, Jesus looked into his heart and Jesus loved him, loved him so much and he invited him into his kingdom and he invited him to have treasure and he invited him to follow him. He didn't receive anything. This rich young ruler didn't receive anything for the simple reason that he didn't know how to receive. He didn't know how to receive. He came to Jesus asking, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. I'm a good person, Jesus. I live a good life, Jesus. I give a tithe or more, Lord, at the temple. I can do this on my own steam, Jesus. You'll be so proud when you see me do it. I don't need any help. Just tell me what to do and I'll get it done. I don't need any help. Look at those people over there or over here or out there. They're poor, they're without social status or they don't have any friends or they're really sick. You know, they're needy. I'm not needy. I don't need any help. I can go on my own steam, Jesus. Is receiving an easy thing or a difficult thing for you? Find it easy or hard to receive? Hard. Ask yourself, does help from others actually bring you relief Or does it stress you out because you feel like you've got to pay them back somehow or you've got to to do something in return, you've got to offer to return the favour. And when you receive, do you find this wonderful rest in your soul? You just have this wonderful peace as people serve you. Do you have that? Do you know that? It's tough. It's hard to receive. You know, and we're not taught to do that. The culture that you and I are involved in means if you achieve, you get status. Wealth equals status. If you can uh, learn and gain skills and actually do stuff off your own bat, then you'll be rewarded for that. You get rewarded for effort. Put in the hard work and you'll reap the rewards. And so there's this absolute clash of cultures between how we're raised and the world that we live in and then we hear the gospel and they come together and there's this massive collision And do you know that all of your thoughts about receiving and your difficulties with receiving, you can't help it, it just happens that you bring that in to your walk with Jesus Christ. You just bring it with you. It's like baggage that comes along with you and it ends up being hard to receive from Jesus. You think, oh, I'm going to do this, Jesus, I'm going to get on this ministry team, I'm going to serve you and then you're going to accept me, Lord. Or I'm going to work really hard, I'm going to love the poor, I'm going to do this or that, Jesus, and then oh, you're really going to bless me. Jesus kept turning up the intensity on the rich man today until he realised that there was absolutely no way by his own life, by his own decision, by his own money, by his own special acts of service, 
that he could attain eternal life, not even with his obedience and his good life, wasn't going to merit God's favour. The living word pierced deep in order to bring about the profound reality that eternal life is only by grace. And sadly, that didn't bring about rest for this rich young ruler. Remember we started out with rest, eternal life? actually didn't happen for this young guy. What happened to him? He actually didn't end up with rest. He ended up burdened. He ended up sad. He ended up feeling the weight of it and he walked away sad because he had great wealth. He walked away from Jesus. He walked away from the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ is gazing into your life this morning. He is gazing into your life. He is discerning your thoughts and your hearts. And that is not a bad thing. That is actually a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. The living and active Word who is a person in Jesus Christ is penetrating deeply into your life for your greatest joy. For your greatest joy. How is Jesus doing that? How is he doing that for your joy? The rich man walking away because he couldn't leave his money and because he couldn't receive absolutely rocked the disciples' world. It rocked them really hard. They asked the question, who then can be saved, Lord? And Jesus looked at them and he said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. The wonder of grace, the wonder of grace is that you can't earn it, nor does God call you to try. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to earn the favour or the approval of your Heavenly Father. There's no amount of serving or praying or striving that will make the Lord shine on you more or make the Lord bless you more or make the Lord forgive you or accept you more. There's no amount that you can actually do for that. But instead, know that through the Father's gift of His only Son, crucified and risen for you, through faith in Jesus, you already have the Father's favour. It's already yours. You already have his blessing. You have his forgiveness. The Lord does shine upon you. He is shining upon you. Eternal life and rest is yours. Not by works, so no one could boast, but by grace. In fact, all the treasures of heaven are yours today and will be yours in the life of the world to come through faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, can I invite you to rest in that truth today? Can I invite you to rest in God's grace? Rest in the grace of God. Inviting Mark to come forward and share a testimony with us this morning. Come forward, Mark. I'll let him talk and then we'll finish. Hold it right up to your mouth, Mark. Right up I work up in the Torres Strait. And on my last trip up, we had an incident where a Chinese crewman on a ship had a severe cut to his leg. A piece of steel had fallen and gone sideways into his calf and we had to get him off the vessel. And we took him into the nurses' clinic on York Island. And um, the nurse had to put local anaesthetic into his leg and because it was so deep, she said to me, pin him down, this is going to hurt him bad. And um, he was sort of looking at me and I'm trying to hold him and he went to sort of close his hands and then he stopped. And, um, oh, 
Um, he went to do it again. He sort of went to put his hands together and he kept looking at me sort of sideways. And I said to him, Christian, and he nodded his head. And I you know, didn't really know what to say. So I just started saying the Lord's Prayer. And the nurse's assistant, an island woman, joined with me. And he went from pure panic, because he was in a lot of pain, and he just relaxed and let it all happen. And I mean, it was, you know, they were, the nurse was dragging arteries around. It was not a lot of fun. But to have this guy, he did, he just, even the nurse that was doing the work was like sort of looking because she hadn't given him a sedative um, and he just calmed right down. And then afterwards, um, he sat on the table there. We didn't really speak much English. And we prayed with him, uh, myself and the, the island woman. And I didn't realise till afterwards that he's not allowed in China to confess his faith. So for him to actually, when he was sort of went to cross his hands and, and pray, he was actually fearful of doing that in front of other people. And then to have us openly do it with him was a big thing for him. And... Um, because once we had him back on the ship and they were on their way, I then was just sitting at anchor in the dark. I had a lot of time to think about it. So it, it really confirmed to me um, that when you really need God, he will be there. You might not think it's there, but it is um, a powerful thing when it happens and I just wanted to share that. The reason I wanted Mark to share that, and I only heard that story last night, is because sometimes, like the rich man, God has to shake our foundations, our very core, and turn our worldview upside down in order for the word, the living word for Jesus to penetrate deeply into our lives. Sometimes he has to use the sword of the Holy Spirit to cut down those loyalties that, that we hold, those things that hold us even, in order that we might see and understand and know the glorious riches of his grace. So sometimes God shakes our very foundations. Sometimes he has to cut down the idols and the things that we treasure so much in order to follow him. Sometimes God speaks words of comfort and grace, like in the instance of this Chinaman in order to give him an amazing supernatural sense of rest in the midst of needles being stuck in his very much wounded leg. Mark, I think he said, are you a Christian? He said, house church. He said, house church. House churches in China are evangelical Christians, okay, uh, that meet, it's a very underground kind of thing. For that Chinaman, you put yourself in his shoes today. You put yourself in his shoes. He was in an absolute terrifying situation and he runs into Mark Bemrose and another woman holding the needles who pray for him. The Lord's Prayer. What a simple prayer. And yet it is the living Word of God. It is Jesus' prayer. So have no doubt, friends, that on 
on, on that place where you were, Mark, that Jesus Christ showed up in a living and abiding way to give that Chinese man rest and peace so that you didn't have to strap him to the table and that he just relaxed and rested in the grace of God given to him in that circumstance. Sometimes our foundations shake. Sometimes the word comes just as a word of comfort. My prayer for all of you today is that God's grace would hold you, that his grace would hold you and that you would find security and comfort and peace in your identity that there's nothing you can do to earn it or merit it in your own strength. It is God's gift to you through the cross, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for you. God bless you today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, we thank you and praise you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We praise you and thank you for your wonderful, amazing gift of grace. We thank you that not our works but your grace is sufficient for us to bring us rest in this, in this life and also rest in the life of the world to come. We pray that you would bless that Chinaman that, in, that Mark encountered, that you would bless him as he goes back uh, to China and as he uh, reconnects with his house church that they would be encouraged and that they would praise you that you showed up for him on that table. And we praise you and thank you, Lord, that you show up for each one of us, no matter what our circumstances are or what's going on in our life. You invite us, you call us to yourself and you lavish us with your grace. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray in your precious and holy name. Amen. And so the scripture says, may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, Keep your hearts and your minds safe in Christ Jesus. Amen.